But one of my favorite quotes, I don't know where it comes from, but it's basically just really simple. The key to good tinkering is keeping all the parts. That's it. If you take apart a VCR, if you take apart whatever, you're not going to be able to put it back together very well if you lose the parts. And we're losing crucial parts and more so just strictly focusing on science and value systems. Just not only do you need to understand what the most important value is, which I do think can be objective. I think it can, right? Like instead of looking at trees strictly as timber, look at them as a resource that sustains the balance of our planet, our ability to actually be alive. Not There's way more than trees, right? Hello everyone, welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Feeding Curiosity podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity explores human experience. Through conversations, we can learn from other people with their ideas, their habits, routines, and anything else they've picked up along the way. It's through these conversations that we can have blueprints to live better in any form. I hope you look at your own life with just a little bit more curiosity. Today on the podcast is my friend, Nick Bugle. As always, me and Nick have great conversations. This one was the first one we've had in person since the pandemic started. And it was really fun for me to have him over to record this. As always, there's something special about being in the same room with someone and just having a really in-depth con- discussion about your life or the ideas that we've been thinking about. We really expanded on what Nick did to cope with the pandemic, meaning what happened through the pandemic and what did that cause him to explore? What we get into basically is this immersing himself into nature. Nick spent a lot of the time just walking around different forest preserves here in the Midwest in Chicago area and getting closer to it. He put himself on a path to get much deeper with the environmental movement, understanding just how complex and difficult many of these problems are. The point here of this conversation is not to really talk about like how to solve things, but how to tackle these things at a high level, like the behavior of people. Because at the end of the day, it's all about conflict resolution and everyone has different set points here. And the hope is that we can come to an agreement between the extremes so that we can at least put a plan in place that's better than what we currently have. That really just encapsulates all of this. And Nick is by no means an expert, but at the same time, it's the point that we can learn and take it upon ourselves to aim at something much bigger than ourselves and hope that by accumulating information or by putting ourselves in a position that we can then talk about a complex issue intelligently, we can help other people jump on board and affect change. All of us can ever really do is start with ourselves. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nick Bugle. Nick Bugle in the flesh. First time in a year. Mm-hmm. At least. In person. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. In, in person in the year. I don't know. It feels great. Yeah. I'm really excited about it's it. It's good to be out in the world. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Well, you've been out in the world a lot. Just not in contact right, with yeah, people. Right. Not amongst people. Right. <laughs> amongst raccoons and skunks <laughs> and things. So, the vermin yeah. of the world? <laughs> yeah. I was once, I was amongst the vermin. I was the vermin. I was <laughs> scaring people from behind bushes. And shit, so. I, can't, I don't know why, but the image in my head was you dressed up as a skunk or... <laughs> Dude, a possum? I wouldn't put it past me. Depends how much drugs you did. Yeah. 
No, there's like, a version of me that would be down that path somewhere in the world, <laughs> somewhere in the universe. But no, just, uh, yeah, away from people. I think one of the weird things is not, basically just not trusting people to not cough on me. Like literally, it's one thing if you spend like, uh, sit down with someone for a 10 minute talk. And it's another thing if you pass someone on a path for 10 seconds. And so I would have people, literally, they wouldn't cover their mouth, obviously not wearing a mask. Not only would they not cover their mouth. They this would, is early on in, in Yeah, this the is pandemic. before this is before I had moved back home. Yeah. And when I was still willing to like take a little more risks when I was still living with my old roommates and wasn't amongst high risk individuals and stuff like that. Yeah. Like my family and stuff. So when I was still willing to take risks, it felt as though if I were to interact with six people, come in contact with six people within a ten foot range, one of them would statistically cough on me. Like this was either at the grocery store. Was scarring or, you. Yeah. Prompting me to completely reevaluate how I wanted to navigate <laughs> this whole pandemic and what risk factors I wanted to bring into the household once I moved home. And because of that, because getting literally again, like people, not only would they not cover their mouth, they would turn their head towards me. They wouldn't even turn their head away. They would like look me in the eyes and they were like, here's a shower for you and just cover me. And then learning the statistics, like the like look the, on their faces, are you ready for this? Yeah. Right? Like, like, you deserve this. Some, and I probably do. I'm not going to lie. I don't, but that kind of primed me to be like, all right, I'm not going to mess with people. And so it got to the point where I literally was like more comfortable running into coyotes. Like my record for getting close to a coyote was about five feet on accident. Jesus. Yeah. It was sketchy. <laughs> it was really sketchy. <laughs> How is that even? Impossible. Um, he was on the other side of a bush and I heard some rustling and I didn't think much about it. I, I, it wouldn't the, register that it was a coyote. Well, so from the beginning of all this, and I want to say probably I, I really started kicking in in September of 2020. I, I was in like a group chat with a couple guys and I was like, I'm probably going to be hospitalized because of an animal within the year <laughs> because I no longer flinch. Like the start of when COVID first started happening, I went to a preserve and was like, all right, I'll stay away from people, so I'll go off the path over here. And then literally within five minutes, I encountered a snake that was, like, trying to bite at my feet. And I was like, oh. And so that was the start. And then by the end of it, I would encounter all these critters and just not even flinch. And I was like, this is going to be a problem at some point. And sure enough, I'm, like, five feet away from a coyote. And I was like, and as it pranced away from me, I was like, this is probably not ideal. Yeah, this also, I speaking from Google Facts is lame because i think like one of my favorite things from like the neil grass or neil degrasse tyson masterclass commercial mm -hmm. is where he's search engines are the epitome of confirmation bias so if you're using that as your evidence an algorithm promoted to show you what you want to see it might not be the most idyllic thing and you have like college kind of stores for information to go and in, in more vague and stuff you have to seek out where instead of google's just handing you info yeah I don't know where I was going with that. Getting what you want out of walking up to coyotes? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no, no. Yeah. So what I was going with that, with that was like, I had read like an article about wolves and how they don't tend to attack humans because they know humans are larger. They know it would be less likely to be able to take one down unless they're in a pack and coyotes are, I think, even less packed. I don't know that any of this is true. This is just what I found on Google one time. Right. And so I was like, oh, then it's totally okay for me. Like, to I'm going to be safe. <laughs> yeah, It'll be right? fine. And so there was a period and I don't. So I can't say anything about what was happening previously. And one thing to speak to that is walking around right now in 2021 and what is it, April right now? Yeah. I've lived in Illinois my entire life and I've never seen how absolutely gorgeous the trees, the trees are when they bloom. It feels like I'm living in, in like an AI scenario or whatever, like a VR scenario and someone yeah. cranked up the nature dial. But in reality, this is what it's always been, and I'm just finally noticing. And so I can't say that there was never coyotes and never skunks and, like, uh, raccoons everywhere before, 
But you know, now that I'm spending three hours outside every day, I'm just encountering these things a lot more. But definitely right before winter, I was like, at least I would go amongst my three hours a day. I would pretty much encounter two coyotes a night and not flinch. And it got to the point where I was like, started to think about it more. And I'd see someone walking their small dog and I'd be like, yo, by the way, <laughs> there's a coyote over there and your dog's not on a leash. You might want to turn this away or put that dog on a leash or do something. But yeah. And meanwhile, you, you're hearing like the news or like the local kind of like social media things like next door and stuff. They're like, oh, my dog got snatched last night. And it's, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. But, but yeah, so I don't know if there's any way to go with that, but yeah, I, I basically, yeah, I was living amongst the quote unquote vermin just alone in the woods and trying to avoid people and hanging out with creatures and eventually no longer flinching at things that could either spray me or bite me or poison me or venomize me. I don't know. The one thing that really comes to my mind is like, in a weird way, you were putting yourself in more danger. Rabies or something else. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but you're totally cool with that it's risk. The, it's the evil we know. That's what I show. That reminds, oh, I was just talking about it last night. I was in, when I was in New Orleans, I got bit by a cat at four in the morning. What is up with you and cats? I don't know, man. This is the, maybe this is what happened. You know how I, I used to hate cats and now I love them so much. And maybe this was like Spider-Man with the spider. This New Orleans <laughs> cat bit me and now I love cats. That's what happened. It passed on it's my, something. It's, it's a radioactive cat bite. But no, I got you bit by a, a tail. I don't want to talk about that part. But yeah, so I, yeah, I got bit by this cat in New Orleans and I spent like the rest of the night relatively intoxicated in New Orleans <laughs> thinking you. yeah why else was I there but I spent the rest of the night oh my god I have rabies I'm like 900 miles away from home and I have rabies and I don't know what to do <laughs> and I was like and then to reinforce that later my very goofy friend Ryan was over my shoulder the whole time who had seen me get bit and he was like you're gonna get rabies bro and just like messing with me and I was like no <laughs> like, don't do this to me now yeah, god damn right? it Especially yeah. while you're intoxicated or, yeah, or, or yeah. even slightly intoxicated, yeah. you're, you're more I'm, susceptible. Yeah, I'm definitely prone to like neuroticism and anxieties. So that was. Like, I, I was going to say, is this like a normal part of your behavior to. To jump to conclusions of the worst case scenario? Yeah, maybe. 100%. I guess yeah. maybe just think yourself into a corner. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's not uncommon at all. And then I later on think about the ramifications of that thinking and then think about how it's affecting my behavior and the net cost and then try to rationalize, is it worth it? And so even for me, like with, the, with all this nature stuff and like I've explained to you, basing it off of the best way to explain it with the, like the Taoism and Winnie the Pooh is the whole, if we're looking at winter, don't think about the fact that when it snows outside, you can't go play basketball or you can't do X, Y, and Z. Think mm -hmm. about what you can do. Like you can go sledding, you can build a snowman. And so- for me, it was just like, all right, I don't really want to mess with this. I now, I moved home purposely to be closer to my family without putting them at risk and now live amongst them and behave the way they behave, but still valuing going out in nature and like really like a major contributor to my mental health throughout all of the COVID episode has been going outside. Like when winter hit and I wasn't really ready to start wearing seven layers to be out there for three hours a day kind of thing. I was like in a, I, I could tell my mental health was like taking a hit because I was like, man, it's getting harder to be outside when it was like hitting negative five degrees outside. And I was like, like the day of the Super Bowl when it was like freezing, I could only stand to be outside for like collectively an hour. And then I did the rest of my like working out indoors to hit that two hour like max and or the three hour max. And so that day was like just really rough. And I was like trying to be stoked about the Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, and not only am I like alone for the Super Bowl for the first time in my life, but I'm also just not in a good headspace because I got robbed of my main thing. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I basically love, I really fell in love with nature during my furlough phase again. And then on top of that, once I moved home, I 
living with amongst a high risk family, I decided to really put distance between me and everybody else. And um, so that drove me deeper into the woods, into paths I wouldn't normally take and places I wouldn't normally go. And that just forged a whole new level. And so and part of the reason I would never go down these paths is just like accessibility, not wanting to scuff up my stuff. As we speak, I have holes in the crotch of my pants because of thorns and stuff like that. And like I, I've definitely damaged my entire collection of clothes and stuff this year, but undoubtedly worth it and dirtied all my shoes. I've gone through seven pairs of shoes in the last year. Jeez. I think, yeah, I walk a lot. <laughs> so, That's a lot. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just been cool. I don't know. I feel like I'm just starting to circle back now and stuff. But yeah, so that has been the whole kick is like deeper immersing myself into nature as an escape while still being outdoors, but seeing the net cost of want, not wanting to essentially murder my family. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like one murdering your family sounds a little harsh. Because well, that was my, my, my line of thinking in like the net things. Like I'm... 26 years old and I've done some like crazy awesome stuff standing above the clouds at a mountaintop in Hawaii accidentally slicing a fly in half with a business card <laughs> midair like I thought about this all at the very beginning of like quarantine and stuff is like, can I sit still like, I've done a lot of really stuff like I'm, for my own self as a benchmark I feel as though some of the things I've done I really enjoy and I've done a lot of cool things and I'm like, all right, I've done all this stuff and just because I'm not doing it right now doesn't mean it didn't happen, doesn't mean more things can't happen. So can I just sit still? Do I need this constant validation and gratification and distraction and immersion or can I just sit the heck still and not do all this stuff? And so mm -hmm. I, arguably I didn't sit still. I just changed what I was doing into nature, but I did, I pivoted a lot and I, so I, I took up books and I took up nature and documentaries over like dumb comedies and constantly being out with people. Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite designers, or well, actually he's not my favorite. He's all right. I don't know. Designer you enjoy. Yeah. He's, well, he's definitely famous and prolific. Um, so I'll give him that. But uh, Stefan Stagmeister does this thing where I don't know if it's cause I can't remember if it's cause he doesn't know if he's going to live to retirement or what, but basically he basically decided, okay, the average person might have seven years of retirement before they pass away after they retire when they're 65. And so what I'm going to do instead is every seven years, I'll slice it up and say, okay, seven years and then one year off and then seven years working and one year off and seven years working. And so he just interspersed his retirement into his career time. And, but he is also a business owner, so he can do that. He's not in financial risk at all. So that's definitely not something that many people can do, but that was something I used to think about like how I would navigate all this stuff in COVID where I was like, okay, maybe I'll just, I'll intersperse one year of retirement or one year of being an old man and a, a McCrudgeon or a curmudgeon kind of thing. And instead of being an old man at 50, I'll be old at 51 now. I have to push it back a year because of this year. But, but yeah, so I don't know. That was like the whole thing. But I, I think to circle back more, I don't know if you have any like questions or anything that you want to go off of that, but, but I, I think the only thing I'd circle back to with specifically the message of nature in a sense of almost focus Mm -hmm. would be uh, a new take on value systems and a new take on what I now call like the world's diet or like real time reincarnation in terms mm -hmm. of like exchange of life from consuming things and all that. But yeah, I guess the first thing I would say is just what did this drastic change? Cause I wouldn't call you a social butterfly, but you're definitely someone who has lots of different friends in different places. Mm -hmm. You have a wide social network in some sense and so for you to be hit by i don't know if you i wouldn't i don't know if you would consider yourself to be an extrovert but prior it, to this and now i feel more introverted in right. my tendencies. so i would say is what has this drastic change in your 
I don't even know, activity diet in some sense has done for you? What has changed for you and what surprised you about yourself? Because most of us, I felt that with the drastic change that was brought on just over a year ago, it was like we, we were so prone to just fill up our time with activities that really mm-hmm. didn't necessarily need to happen. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it was like those brakes got pumped and you were like, ooh, huh. Yeah. Now I have all this extra free time that I didn't think I had it. Yeah. And so that's part one. We'll start there. I guess what changed for me, I, I think what changed for me, a really big long lasting thing would be really taking into account the consequences of one's behavior. Cause like really, so I can't tell you how many times I've been at a restaurant where someone is sitting there just like with a mouthful of food, coughing their head off. And again, they're just staring me in the eyes while they do it. And I'm like, thank you for this shower of droplets and whatever is about to happen. And it's just, I can smell the bacon in your mouth from here because you're coughing so hard and it's gross, (laughs) but arguably innocuous, right? Like I've in those scenarios, I walk away fine. And arguably like I was talking about prior to moving home and taking much more neurotic behavior into account are underway. I was talking about how about one in every six people would cough on me if I let them get close enough. I never got COVID though, as far as I know. So it's it's not like I also over, I overjudged there. I was like, oh yeah, if the risk is there. But then again, as I began to move home to, you also see the, the cases start to go up to 12,000 and 15,000 cases a day and stuff, which I some would argue are embellished numbers some would argue are underreported but regardless so a really big thing was starting to really have to map like the world around okay something that was previously innocuous is now highly consequential mm-hmm. and that had really never been something i had to take into account and i had also been a lot more just self-centric in so many ways and so it was just like very quickly a very real hit of oh man like this can be bad and knowing me and my social behaviors I felt like if I'd kept up what I wanted to do for me, I would be a prime candidate to be spreading this disease around crazy. Just essentially hanging out with five to 10 people a day. And so if if you, on the short end, have a three or four day infectious incubation period, I could be infecting 20 to 40 people who also have other people arguably extroverted or they go to work or whatever. And it's just, and so that was like, what a very quickly defining moment of how I wanted to handle myself. And another thing too, is just, I think for me, understanding social networks totally differently and hearing a lot of like my peers and stuff be like, Oh, I just hung out with this person. I was like, that person hung out with the other person and the other person, like we're all extensions, right? Like when I was growing up, my parents gave me like a weird little STD talk about if you hook up with a stranger, you're inadvertently hooking up with everybody else they have, because if they've gotten an STD. And so that, I think that metaphor got helped to call into account and kind of shape all this stuff. But so the new consequence to behavior and trying to be a little less self-centric around this stuff, while also definitely having emotional reactions to rewiring myself and then seeing people not and being like, I'm doing the right thing. When having to call myself back and be like, wait a minute, you know, there's reasons I'm doing this. And also to realizing the position of privilege that I was in absolutely with the fact that like I was on a furlough but I was one of the people that didn't have issues with collecting unemployment and stuff. When having a place to stay, having a regular income to not have to worry about my rent, not having to worry about these other things. And like, I was extremely fortunate. And so my bandwidth never had needed to be on that. And then I could put my bandwidth on this instead, on neurotic behavior, essentially. And so I, at no point 
And also it's just a complete difference in values and priorities. You know, like I, I lived with someone who, whose girlfriend, her, I think her grandfather had passed away, like right in the beginning of it. And I don't believe it was from COVID, but they were also, I think she was having issues with her grandmother and my, that actual roommate, not as significant other, but I think his parents were like struggling with something. I can't remember, but just looking around at my peers and stuff and like seeing like the extensions not so much that if they got sick, they would be hospitalized, but right. the people in their lives that would be hospitalized. And so I was like, oh man. And so having friends be like, hey, come over. We don't really care. And I was like, I've taken into account that your parents are older and they might be smokers. They might be this or that. And so I'm weirdly doing all these like little calculations for myself in the back of my head. And I was just like, do I want to be the reason that this disease spread to anybody while also taking into account that I am not looking to control, but have to take responsibility for my roommate's behaviors. And so whatever they go out in the world and do, I become an extension of because we use the same kitchen. We breathe the same air. It's all circulated, all this and that. And I don't know. It was an exhausting set of calculations for me, but it was, I think I would do it all over again without a doubt, like a hundred percent. And now being vaccinated, I'm still to be back socializing and stuff. But, and again, all of that got easier taking on that mindset of don't focus on what you can't do, focus on what you can. And I just took up new hobbies and stuff that I would also like never have done before. And so reading like 15 books and like a nine month span, which was like never going to happen for me ever. And like shameless plug, taking a bunch of pictures and stuff for my sexy website, scenicsnaps.com. But like doing these kinds of things and like just doing more health oriented stuff and thinking about things more abstractly and ingesting a bunch of information that would normally, ingesting information that I could because I had the bandwidth to with a bandwidth that would normally be taken up with a variety of conversations and socializing of which some was arguably trivial, not necessarily small talk, but like not progressive or philosophical or intellectual, just, Hey, we're hanging out buds. But instead I was like very distant from that and just constantly engaging in intellectual growth and stuff that was like pushing my thinking. And I pushed my pea sized brain to the max for nine or 10 months straight. And I definitely <laughs> burned myself out hard, very hard, but big picture though, I think, <laughs> circling back nature was like definitely the biggest like best part of all of it mm -hmm. and just and you had a part two yeah it's, it's all like connected to the nature aspect of this but it's the, the first part was just like learning about yourself and then on top of that is as you push yourself to you know get out into nature it's getting you to slow down right like i think modern life is so fast-paced and mm -hmm. go on to the next task, whatever that next task may be right. for each of us. It's different, but we always have something else to check off the list. And, yeah. and I think nature is one of those things that confronts that whatever you have to do, it's going to do what it needs to do yeah. after you're there. And so if you're just immersing yourself in that, even if it's just you're there walking around listening to a book or a podcast, whatever it is, right. Ingesting information in some sort is, you're still slowing down to a pace that most of most working people don't realize is possible because you're, you weren't yeah. really, you weren't confronted mostly by the endless zoom calls and the transition into remote work. You've experienced some of that now, but mm -hmm. at least initially speaking, you were able to dodge some of those aspects of it, of like screen fatigue and, and actually, even though in some respects you self isolated, but in some respects, you replaced it with at least the most healthy thing you could possibly do by being outside more. Sure, yeah. There, there is something there to say that even though you were isolating in one respect, you were still getting outside and reducing your overall risk by uh, at least being outside yeah. and doing something. And I'm just curious, 
if you've noticed anything about the nature part of it that because I've always felt you were connected to nature in some degree just because of your own ethical meanderings throughout the years of me knowing you as a friend with being vegan and things like that. So I'm just curious if this is just like an extension of that has allowed you to explore that chapter of yourself in a different form. No, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I don't think they're consciously mutually exclusive. <laughs> like they, they don't, they at the forefront weren't influencing each other. I think it goes back to just, again, me trying to do lots of new things. But like when I was working at one job where I had to decide my hours while I was still going to community college, like my freshman year community college and was like, didn't know anything. And they were like, Oh, it's my first year. I should definitely take 17 credit hours, which I didn't know that 15 is more your ideal. And maybe some people start out with 13 or 12. Kind you of like thing. just going all in. Well, that was a major accident. My counselor was even looking at me weird. And I was like, not picking up on social cues at all. He was like, are you sure about this? And I was like, yeah, that looks like the ideal class list. And he was like, all right, man, that's, you got a lot of hours spent and you got a lot of investment here. And I was like, yeah, that's me. It wasn't, but, but so after that I did, this was like a a little bit of an early tell, but in that phase I started going to preserves that were close to that job Mm. that I had found. And I was also going to another school at that time too. And so I was finding more and more as I drove around and it was a nice kind of way to disconnect from all that. And I do appreciate what happens when you're like at a preserve and all this stuff is wrestling around you and you're like, oh, is there a tick on me? And you're walking into spider webs and tick webs. And I remember one of the best moments I had to date was I rounded a corner and there was like uh, a couple of raccoons and one went the other way and one tried to dive into a tree. And this raccoon was like very chunky. And so as it dove into the tree, it like got stuck like face first and its little like butt and legs were hanging out. And I was also like really confused because I was like, we're, you're going to do a tree trunk. Like <laughs> all I have to do is walk up to you now. But that was that creature's choice of retreat. But yeah, it just calls you. There's a bunch of stuff happening in your face. And so you don't necessarily have the time. And, and so while I didn't have my bandwidth committed to work, arguably this was giving me purpose in a sense, right? Like. I, I, someone, I think someone just said something where I was like, it was like to the people who somehow lost weight during quarantine, how did you do that? And my first thought was like, I didn't have anything to do. So I just went on a walk and I kept doing yeah, it. So actually quick thing there. How much have you actually, do you know how much you've lost? Cause you've definitely lost a considerable weight, amount of weight. Yeah. Weight-wise? Um, yeah. So right when I was, I think I had checked my weight when I went to Dallas. And then the week after I got back from Dallas was when everything got shut down. And so I think around then I was like 235. And now I'm like between, I teeter totter right now between 185 and 190 kind of okay. about, I don't want to do math. Like, what is that? Like 40 pounds, pounds, 40 pounds. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, like 45 to 50 pounds. Yeah. 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 It's still pretty good. I remember um, when I saw you the, for the first time, probably around the new year ish. And you, I, I was surprised because I hadn't realized how, <laughs> just how much you'd actually lost. Right. And I was just like, whoa. And, yeah. but it makes sense because a lot of the behaviors that when you are typically socializing, it's you go out and like, what do you do? Go eat, get food and drink some beer with people. Thanks. But if those things aren't afforded to you, you're yeah. not doing those behaviors anymore yeah. unless you're drinking at home, which yeah. I think that has its own repercussions there. So check yourself, but right. I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do, but right. just as a, you know, a little <laughs> yeah. word of caution. I, I did notice uh, a lot of my peers were turning to drinking 
whether that was like a, a movie and wine night or uh, a game night with the boys on Xbox or something, and they yeah. were slamming beers, and it was like, you died, you drink. Open the crispy boy. But yeah, I... I, drinking for me has been a very social thing. Yeah. I, I, I never really drink alone. And so I wasn't, even if I was on like Discord with you guys or something like that, I wasn't, had, I didn't have a beer in hand or anything like it's that. It's very and different so, for me. I'll wind up like opening a beer and getting halfway through it. And I'm like, I really don't want this anymore. Because yeah. there's something to drinking a beer in person with friends and like having the, the vibe be a thing and be like, yo, we're all hanging out, having a good time, cracking jokes. But it's not the same when you're even over. We did a, a Discord over New Year's thing. Mm-hmm. Totally wasn't the same. Yeah, I would admit. I yeah. was. I think too. Even so, if I would go hang out with my sister and brother-in-law, who were like part of our quarantine bubble, and it yeah. was pretty much just them and his brother, and so even when I would do that, and they'd be like, "All right, it's it's New Year's Eve. Maybe we're gonna get drunk tonight." It'd be like one drink in, and I was right. like, "I don't know if I'm committed to this. I don't know if the reward is worth it." It's just kind of. I don't know. Yeah, it was just a disconnect. And even now, I'm like, man, do I really want to go back to having beers? And like, it's one thing that it's, this is literally my second day of being like, all right, I've hit the immunity threshold. I'm virtually immune. And so collectively in the past 48 hours, I think I've had, what, like four and a half beers now or something like that. Five beers collectively. And I'm already, I don't know if I'm about this. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where it's going, but I mean, it's just trade-offs. Of, yeah, of beha- behavioral yeah. I trade-offs. Have, I, I have guess. very different priorities right now. Yeah, I have, and arguably too. What would you say the the biggest changes of your priorities, if you could name them thematically? I think the biggest thing is like prioritizing. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm curveball trying to, on this one. Not even. Well, I'm trying to. I'm lumping a lot together here. Wanting to feel important to my peers by having adaptive conversations that might not mean as much to me. Also lumped in with having a love life that might be mm-hmm. just trivial for the need to feel the need to be in a partnership, but not actually to actually be in that one. Yeah, yeah. Either not wanting to be in it, or not being with the right person, mm-hmm. or not being in the right headspace, whatever it is, kind of thing. And prioritizing knowledge a lot more, and just I don't know, exhaustingly. And I don't know. I just I also parting ways, not necessarily because of any of these new behaviors, uh, mostly because of you know what we've seen with bipartisanship over the last year. I I don't even know what's right or wrong anymore. And I don't think I want to arrive at a right or wrong simply. I don't want to sit like, I don't want to find the easy answer. And there's always like multiple sides to every story. The discovery that how people behave and what science says to don't align. And it's unfortunate that people who already work their butts off in the field to gain information to help influence the public's behavior now have to essentially gain a whole new behavior to be like, shit, we tell them X, but they always do Y. And now you have to start accounting for that and going out of your way to say we can do and we can introduce whatever information we want. We can get whatever statistics we want. But if the public isn't going to behave the way that we not necessarily decree, but show guidance to, it, whatever statistics or information or whatever you ask for isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. You need to start tailoring things around people. And, right? and so understanding that we are mostly emotional creatures and so cold hard facts are not often the way to motivate people unless mm-hmm. that person has already predisposed themselves to making a connection between the fact you introduce to them and how that affects their emotional value system but we live in an incredibly complex world like it's absolutely insane i don't know i like i have this weird visual in my head of you take the actual topography of earth and then you cover it in people 
and like dots, like tiny little dots. And so not only does that topography of Earth exist right now, but it's always existed as it spirals circularly and on its own trajectory in our solar system as our solar system goes through our, our galaxy and as our galaxy finds itself closer and closer <laughs> to the Andromeda and the relative space of everything else, all this like weird linear, like I, I picture it as a visual that's really hard to describe, but this kind of like tube, like, or this like spirally, like a spiral notebooks, like kind of holder or and, whatever. And that's time. Yeah. And so that's how time affects it. And then on top of that, so you have the topography of this spiral of the earth that's ever changing and we won't even get into any of the generations prior to today or the dinosaurs or, <laughs> or anything. So you have all these people and then you have, I, I think of it as like all these dots, like literally have their own path that just gets larger and larger. And that's like the perceptions of reality that this person harbors, not to mention what they're actually doing and the reality that it affects that they have no idea about. We can't process that. Our brain. We're all limited. That's what you're trying to get at. Incredibly finite. Yeah. And we're, that's a beautiful thing. It means we always have to learn. We always have things to learn if we choose to yeah. do. We can never, we'll literally never run out of things to learn. But, oh man, I don't know. Then that, that, I don't know. So going on these nature walks has been a kind of thing circling back. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you a question, but continue. But basically, I just kind of getting in touch with my own like Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, like the, mm. the less about something, the more you feel inclined about yeah, knowing Yeah, the more it, right? confident you are about something you think you understand about the thing. Yeah, right. And so just existing in these nature spaces and going out and being like, oh, I love trees and stuff. And then, I don't know, encountering, like even talking as like a vegetarian sometimes and stuff like that. And the asking humans to behave better than every other species on earth behave a little less animalistic yeah <laughs> are, 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 yeah barbaric or whatever especially now in a time where switching to a vegetarian diet would help cut the methane and carbon production and water consumption of the planet like crazy but so do having these value systems and putting things on a pedestal but not really understanding nature that much and even now i don't going to a preserve and like looking at all this stuff and being like wow this is so pretty and then i stumble upon like a bunch of dare bones, like a cracked in half mandible. Do you know how hard you have to, I don't, maybe it's not that hard, but like for a wolf to be eating a dare and crack its mandible in half, like just that kind of stuff. It's, it's nine in the morning, I'm drinking coffee and all of a sudden I stumble upon that, like this thing, just this carcass picked right. clean. And I'm like, oh fuck. Oh yeah. Things got to eat. I they mean, all... it confronts you with a very different reality than what the average person is confronted with. It looks like someone's dinner from a couple of days ago. <laughs> and then we're also realizing too, that's what we do. And that's, that's what we, all of us humans have to do that every day with ideally 15 to 2000 calories a day, right. something else. And we do it with a variety of a diet all across the world in different ways, but we're all always consuming all the time. And if we didn't, we would die and we have to. And so that's what these other animals have to do too. And it's just and like watching a squirrel. I still love squirrels. I think you think, oh, they only really eat nuts and whatever they find in the ground. But I've watched squirrels go into a bird's nest up in like 30 feet in the air and just yank a little bird out of its. And the whole time you hear the bird like crying its head off for the mom to come back. And then the squirrel just goes in and is like, hey, I found dinner and kills the thing and eats it and goes upon its day. And huh. it's just, damn, I would bro, not have thought of is, that. There was one time I tried to stop it. I was like on a walk in my neighborhood and I saw 10 squirrels going for the same bush. The What I assumed to be the mother bird was like, screw this and just flew off. And then they were all, and I, I heard that wailing from the bush and I was like, I'm at least close enough now to do something. And normally squirrels are really skittish, but right. when they got food on the table, they're like, screw you. And so I'm sitting there like with my hands, like trying to wave around this bush, trying to bat away the squirrels and stuff. And they like didn't care at all. And they were just like, I found dinner and it's just, <laughs> but that's what it is, man. We right. all need to eat all the time. And it's this ever lasting exchange. And thank God for 
photosynthesis because none of this food chain would <laughs> operate. But it's, I think going in these preserves has really like this year has really helped me understand that, you know, what I now call real time reincarnation. Mm. So you're literally, uh, I brought it to my friend too, to make sense. And he's just wrapping up med school. Uh, and I always give him my very unrefined crap. And he's like, oh God, how do we dial this back and rationalize it for you? <laughs> uh, and I, 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 I appreciate the crap out of his patience. But so I was like, and I'm going to butcher the, the, the scientific side of what he's, he told me and stuff. But essentially I came to him and I was like, it's, I, I hadn't really considered it, but like literally everything we eat, what you are is what you eat feels like a, a lethargy thing. If you eat good, you feel good. And so you are what you eat. But I hadn't considered the fact that like outside of not there's a better, I don't think it's osteocytes, but like well, the bone cells, I think it's osteocytes. I don't know, but like bone cells and neurons and muscle cells outside mm -hmm. of that, everything in your body replaces itself and it needs things to replace itself with all your epithelial tissue and all that kind of stuff. And you're, I don't know, uh, I'm not going to go down that list. Yeah, but don't, don't, don't worry yeah. about this. But so I was like really coming upon that and realizing we literally are what we eat. We are ever replacing ourselves. And then I, when I was talking to him about that, he even went further and was like, you have to understand too that for you to make decisions, you need energy to do. So the things yeah. that you eat will literally be the decisions you make inadvertently as your body synthesizes these calories that you uptake. And just again, seeing we, we're so we're so purposely distant from our food, right? Like it's actually a really beautiful but bummer quote that I think Brian, the, the guy from Just Mercy, who was about oh. Brian Stevenson, he had a quote actually, I think on Trevor Noah's show, where he's, it feels like in America that some of the citizens in our country don't like to watch the footage of what the police do to black Americans, but they, in the back of their head, feel as though it needs to be done in a sense. Like it's some type of, it's just the way things are and it's a, a way to keep order. Hmm. And then he likened that to the way meat eaters are in our country. And he was like, no one likes to watch the cow get slaughtered, but they're going to eat a burger for dinner. They don't want to watch it happen, but they need to eat. And that's just what it is. And I was like, the Brian Stevens thing is like a weird call in. I'm not trying to go down that right. path right yeah. now. Different, um, different conversation yeah. for a right. different yeah. time. I do love that man though. Um, I like his documentary mm -hmm. on uh, Amazon, yeah. Brian Stevenson and Just Mercy is an amazing film in its own way. Different conversation, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. We got to stay on the rails. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. On the aspect of food here, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the ethics of food in some sense. And if you're going to choose to eat protein, broadly speaking, it's a... It's an interesting thing, right? Because the modern system has effectively removed the ending of life from the equation, right? The chain of events that occurs for food to your beef to end up at the supermarket, the consumer doesn't need to, to absolutely consider the fact that that was once a living thing. It's just yeah. a cut of meat at that point. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the, maybe that's a perk, but some people are speaking at a, as if it's a bug in the system and maybe it's not. I think I, I've spent my own time in you talking about with the idea of the squirrels going after a bird, right? Like most of us think a squirrel's cute and is <laughs> just got a fluffy tail and it's going to yeah. just go find some nuts and air corns. And, and right. then you see it in the springtime and it's like searching around and it's silly because it can't find where the hell it buried it. It's nut, but that inver inadvertently makes new trees grow. It's all part of the, the, the equation. And in some sense, I think humanity has forgotten, or at least modern America for, as an example, because that's where I live has forgotten that we're animals too, mm -hmm. even though we yeah. are more conscious than right. other animals. Inevitably, right? We have to be. We're, we're, con <laughs> we're, we're conscious enough to understand 
and have a definition for anthropocentrism. But that's naturally, that's not a terrible thing. Like red pandas only really care about red pandas. There's those videos on the internet where, (laughs) oh, the deer and the dog are friends. But exactly. (laughs) Okay. All right. Two fed animals are cohabitating. That's cool. But, and just because they're not starving, they're not killing each other. Congrats. Like we're all, it's, I think one of the best like examples of this is if you go on Instagram and find uh, nature's metal. It's one of my favorite Instagram accounts because it just shows you just re- the, just the ridiculousness that is nature. And it's usually dead things and things mm-hmm. eating dead things yeah. or some <laughs> soon to be dead things. Yeah. Like they had a, they, they said it in a tongue, tongue in cheek way. I just watched it recently, but it was like a deer had been hit next to a highway or something and it, and it had broken its legs or something or, or just couldn't move properly anymore. And this grizzly bear was, like the joke was that, oh yeah, look, they're just friends. The bear just helped pull it off the road and it's no big deal. He, he then goes on to write the caption of, yeah, we all know how this story is and mercifully, the v- guy who took the video of this didn't show us the ending of this yeah. video. But it, these are the realities of what nature is. If you remove all of the benefits of society from humanity, we're no different than that bear yeah. if given the opportunity yeah. or the necessity. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've got three things now <laughs> in my head that this spawned that are all a byproduct of these natural adventures. But yeah. But yeah, I, I have a really hard time of just, I, I think we should be more aware of the cost of life that it takes to mm-hmm. sustain your own life in some sense. That's why I'm a big fan of if you choose to eat meat, you should... In, I th- or at least speaking for myself, I won't even say you should here. Speaking for myself, I would prefer, and I know this is going to rub people the wrong way, but I would, I want to become proficient enough to become a hunter in a sense that I could sustain myself with protein mm-hmm. from an animal that I was the one that is responsible for its death, therefore closing the loop because I'm then not part of the system that then facilitates factory farming of some sort or whatever. And I'm not there yet. And it's just not part of my equation yet, but I want to be able to do that one day and maybe not all of the time, but if I could then supplement that over for majority, 80% of the time yeah. of the, of the, the products I eat are not part of products of those things. And that's helping the equation. Yeah. And it's complicated, right? And cause it speaks to that. I have some sort of level of resource that I can then, put an inordinate amount of time to become proficient in a skill to go hunt and then also take time away from a job to actually go hunt. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's many layers of checking the box that not everybody's going to be able to do. Yeah. And so to, to say that you, everyone should be doing certain things is it's just not viable. And so then I think we just need to think about more humane ways of raising and then by proxy slaughtering animals in a way that is less industrialized yeah where it's taking into account the suffering of an organism mm-hmm. however you call it and, and this is a this may be diverging into a separate conversation no, I, at this no, point I, but yeah oh, but no like a couple of quick touch bases one of the most jarring facts i think i've come across is that of the animals on this planet of the land animals not oceanic creatures um, right. i think we can i think it's somewhere like 70 or 80 percent of the animals on this planet are livestock to me, that was one of the most jarring things. That's, I was like, that's Holy a huge percentage. Yeah. <laughs> the biomass humans account for the majority. I think the, like the vast majority of the biomass or like in terms of ratios, humans in our eight billions or whatever we're at right now, or yeah, seven, like something, seven billion, something probably. Yeah. We account for the, a large amount of the biomass, but 
than our livestock that we have to sustain ourselves. That is also highly impractical and unsustainable. And I can't really talk smack. Like I'm not offering any solutions and I'm not partaking, but I guess the start of a discussion or something, but, but to to read about that was a really jarring I think it's 60 or 70 or like well, you know, or 70 or 80% or something. Do you know like that. what book that was from? Just out of curiosity. No idea. I've, I've, or where you read it from? No, I've ingested so much. <laughs> All so good. Many places. I'm sure you could look it up, though, very quickly. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to find something on it. Don't use article. the bias machine. Go find an encyclopedia. <laughs> I'll start with the bias machine, but then yeah, I'll find right, the, the paper right. of some sort. All I use is the bias <laughs> machine. But so I have um, my own filter installed that I try to find reputable sources, yeah. regardless of the bias machine. But but what, what you're talking about there, too, right, is not trying to separate the fact that this is an animal. We don't do it with chicken. Chicken is still chicken, but with we have bacon for pigs and we have pork for pigs. We have beef for cows. Yeah, you know, the words we use are very specific. Yeah. People joke all the time. And it's, they look at a cow and they're like, that looks like a good burger. There's not a major disconnect. I'm not sitting here. No one I know has that full-blown 1984 double think. But there actually was one time. I was on a vacation. Yeah, I won't go in, into specifics. Yeah, who, don't worry how, about Why, where, but I was on vacation and I was vegetarian at this point and I was weirdly and still am weirdly desensitized to like inner animal relations and that kind of stuff and like the death of animals and that kind of stuff because I had been processing it for a while. But one of the people I was with, we all watched a dog go after a stray chicken Mm. and it like picked the chicken up by the neck and the owner just wasn't paying attention and he was like across a field and now he's running over. It's not like he was like, oh, that chicken's a chicken toy. Yeah, here's the noise of a scuffle <laughs> yeah so he's like coming he's like hey, 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 hey drop that chicken and yelling at it and we're like at a good like 80 foot distance and just and no i don't think any of us in our heads we were like just watching it was a little bit like oh at no point do any of did any of us feel the need to intervene or just think that was an option we were just watching this play out without right. even actually it was a little surreal it's just a different thing to see yeah I mean, so this dog here in the suburbs you don't really see dogs go after yeah, chickens all right, that exactly. often. so we're watching this play out <laughs> And so we're watching it play out and the dog first goes up and rings the chicken around by its neck. And then the chicken like plays dead first and the dog walks away. The owner's there and he's got his hands on his head. He's like, damn it. And then they start to walk away and the chicken didn't wait long enough to stop playing dead. And he picks his head back up and starts to gather himself. And then the dog comes back and just really just murders it like really brutally. Um, oh man. And so one of the people I was with was like really heartbroken was like wow that was so messed up to watch and i was like sitting there and all i could think was like yo you're you had chicken fingers for dinner last night like that's all (laughs) i was thinking about the quality of one's death is certainly a factor but in general the net thing honestly some of the deaths these animals face in the livestock industry is i I think that chicken might have won out to some degree but i was like (laughs) there is that desensitized distance absolutely and that's the thing i'm pointing to in these situations is that unfortunately life requires the death of other things. Yeah, uh, well, there's even single cell organisms. There's a picture I remember looking at from uh, Kurzgut, and they there's cells, single cells that will cannibalize. It's photosynthesis cells. Mm-hmm. They'll cannibalize other cells rather than doing the work themselves. Yeah, that sounds. I don't think that's. I don't think this is right. I don't know, but that sounds like something that coral do. Coral relies heavily on the photosynthetic uh, byproduct of something that lives, and it's like. Uh, translucent layer of mm. externality, not the bone structure and not the polyps that eat food that are like the millions of polyps that are, that's covered in but yeah. there's something that I guess I would call it the skin. Yeah. And so when it starts to bleach, when it dies because of overheating, I think it, it starts to treat the inefficient, I'm probably butchering this, but it starts to treat the inefficient photosynthetic cells or little microorganisms or phytoplankton, where the hell they are yeah. as a disease. And so mm. 
one of its main source of food quickly becomes almost a disease that it rejects. And so as that lessens, huh. it, that's, I think that's one of the reasons it bleaches is because it's, it's losing those and it loses its color because of that and stuff. And Interesting. Stuff. And then it can't feed itself on the polyps anymore because there's usually correlation there with, it can't it Sounds sustain. like a symbiotic relationship in yeah, some sense. Yeah, 100%. It's like a, it's like the, they consider pine beetle, mountain pine beetles, like a whole community. I think I was telling hmm. you about this at one point, right? Because the pine beetle, carries nematodes and it carries a, I think a fungus. And so when a pine beetle gets into a pine tree, it uses this fungus that combats the trees. Trees can produce toxins to kill these beetles and kind of win out over them. And it takes like tons of these beetles anytime. To to kill the tree? To kill an entire tree. And usually it it might even happen where a tree only dies in a section and it kills, it sections that off. Oh, interesting. have it sometimes. It's obviously not a conscious decision, but. Right. I get what you Um, mean. (laughs) But they consider these things entire communities because the nematodes, the fungus, and the pine beetle all work in tandem to kill these trees amongst a massive community of these beetles as well. And that's a parallel I see with coral. And so it rejects one of its symbiotic, it it rejects it. The One of the most symbiotic Mm. things that arguably is the reason it stays alive because once it rejects that, it can't feed itself through its polyps anymore. And there's also correlation that when this starts happening, less fish are even around so you hmm. can't even be intaking any byproducts that it might be able to because it's not there. And so right. that's why that's like the, what we're seeing in Australia and then along the Florida coast and all that kind of stuff. And I just feel like this speaks to like the brutality of the natural world. Hmm. Like, I, th- like, I, I as, think to me, it speaks more to the fragility, right? The balance. Well, it's, is it's, it's a combination. It's a fragility because it's, it's such a teeter totter of between life and death, right? Mm-hmm. Like your next meal could be or either your next meal or the your next brush against the predator that wants to eat you yeah could be the last time that you're alive and in a weird i don't even want to go to to, the poetic sense but it's like the the fact that this pandemic has driven all of us to contemplate the fragility of life in a different sense because Mm -hmm. in the modern world we're we don't really have to contemplate those things. It's like we're now confronted with that in a stark contrast and be like, I have to really think about the impact I make on those around me in some sense. And it's all about the COVID wants to flourish right? in some sense. Oh man. Yeah. And it's, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it's just, I just have a a struggle because it's just like we've extricated ourselves from the natural cycles of life and death Mm. so much that we just aren't, comfortable with contemplating how we fit into the the ecosystem anymore yeah, even right. though we still are very much a part of that ecosystem yeah. well so with that anthropocentrism comes a lot of narcissism right? and we've terraformed the shit out of this planet to tailor it to ourselves now to a major to fault. our needs to our needs yeah <laughs> to our own enrichment not even our, mostly for sustenance but now to a degree to our enrichment and things right. like that and so our we value these things more than a lot of other stuff and this is actually where i keep forgetting <laughs> to to go down this path where i really intend to and now i will amazing but especially with all this nature walks and all that kind of stuff and i've really realized the difference in values and stakeholders and like stewards in some sense or so for back to the brutality and so for me as listening to like a forestry podcast and stuff they talk about how citizens that visit the a preserve or a range or something like that some people are like oh i really want to see a bunch of wolves and other people are like oh i want to see a bunch of like moose or bunnies or whatever it's okay these things can only exist in certain ratios because if you have a ton of wolves there's going to be no moose because they'll murder them all. Right. And there's, but you have people with different values 
and they want, everyone wants their value to be the most important. So even back to that brutality, right? I, the amount of bunny guts I've stumbled upon, one of the most brutal. (laughs) Coyotes going after bunnies. One of the most brutal, rude things. I I think I sent uh, a snap to a few people. Cause I was just like, it, I don't know. It felt like something. I was just like, it was so rude. <laughs> but you can I, always send them to me if you don't, if you think it's rude, send it to sure. me. It's fine. I won't be upset. <laughs> right? No. But I was like, I don't know. I felt like acknowledging. So I, some of my more highly pragmatic friends, I was like, bro, look at this. But I, I stumbled upon a, a tuft of fur. I think it's the large intestines of bunnies that wolves and coyotes like never eat. Cause that's hmm. what I've stumbled upon most is the large intestine always accompanied by a tuft of fur. Like I've seen quite a bit of that, but at one point I stumbled upon that combo and apparently the wolf and or coyote had stopped to poop on top of that. Really? Like, but it was like, here's your, here's your remains of carcass and I'm going to take a dump right on top of you too. And I was like, <laughs> this is so insulting. <laughs> this is, it's insult injury. Yeah. I was like, had hey. lunch and then here, let's like, I don't want the rest of this and then let me also right? take it. <laughs> it caught me. I did a double take and I was like, this is really rude. This is like the most disrespect I've seen. But, but so like from, with, with that, seeing all these poor bunnies eaten like for me my value i project onto those bunnies is you're adorable and i like seeing that right i'm maybe i'll chase you or something like that and that wolf is like, that's how i live that's how i sustain myself that's my food and then i don't, I don't even think it, I, I think we do a, a lot of this mental gymnastics to project onto these animals i don't even think they even register that i think they just are like i need food there is food, yeah, right. food no, item. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> like, it's so not, it's not, I don't even think, I'm not saying it's like a conscious thing. Right. Just, there's so many, there's such a variety of values that exist. And you sort of, you go to a preserve, yeah. right? And you have bees that value the flowers and humans that value the flowers because they're pretty. You have, right. you have raccoons that value one plant because they eat it. You have skunks that value I think we just have elaborate, a, more elaborate values. It's like we can encapsulate yeah. more complexity onto the things we value. Right. And they are embedded in things like why bees value flowers. Yeah. And we could understand, like we can capture the bees value of why flowers are important mm-hmm. for both bees existence and for our own existence, because yeah. having fields of pretty flowers is awesome for pictures and Instagram loves those things yeah. nowadays or whatever. But like on the other side of that too, is that I, it's, we have not, we haven't been able to, encapsulated a sense that not all things are equal in a sense that there can only be a certain amount of wolves that can affect an environment. But if they become rampant, then all of a sudden now everything is going to die because now you have too many wolves in a given area. And then not only that, because if you have like livestock or ranchers in the area, they're going to get pissed Mm -hmm. because now those wolves are affecting their income. And then that's why you have areas where they exterminated all the wolves because those ranchers like, fuck those things. Isn't that (laughs) funny though, too? I don't know. There's a bit of an abstraction there, right? Like I'm growing food. Arguably, I'm growing food for it to be eaten, but it's to be eaten by other people as a farmer. And hypothetically here. So I'm growing food as a farmer to produce food for other people. But to me, the value of that food is profit because I'm not eating it myself. Ironically, I'm growing a ton of food so I can feed myself (laughs) a sustainable diet, which I find that a little funny. But so uh, taking that value talk a little more complexly though, is now strictly looking at the human side, you have people who are like, look at these heavily managed places as nature and they project all their own values on it, whether it's a way to decompress or they feel like it offers them better 
more breathable oxygen or they like climbing the trees or they right. like fishing or hunting. Right, or whatever, whatever outdoor yeah. activity you choose. Right. And so people look at these recreational values, but they don't understand these inherent things. And then you have industry values. And arguably, some people don't or feel managed. as though it, it is. Some people don't feel as though, what's the best way to put this? The misconnection in a short-sighted value means that you undermined the reward that you never realized was there. And so it's a short term game over long term right. something, but, whatever right. you call it. I don't and even so, want to call it a long term value. It's more of just a thing you wish was still around after you've already used it. So here though, this is why I'm very much a proponent to the minimal exposure and knowledge that I have from what I can tell. I am a proponent of Malthusian economics versus neoliberal economics because mm. Malthusian economics basically admits that we live on a finite planet. And if we overconsume, we're going to hit a dead end. And so we should find sustainable practices. It's, mm -hmm. it's rational as hell. Then you have neoliberal economics that says everything that exists outside of what I personally value it as is an externality and mm -hmm. growth is the only thing that matters. If I have a business, uh, okay. if so I have like a hundred, infinite growth model in some infinite sense. growth, I, basically that everything is photosynthetic and will never run out as, as somehow that exists in their heads. Whereas like in reality, Hmm. We live on a very finite planet and like oh, I mean, everything is finite. Yeah. <laughs> well, to some degree, I think if we think about even if we think about hundreds of thousands of years, right? We don't have to say that sunlight is finite in that regard. Fair right. Enough. The, right. The land that we can <laughs> gather with solar panels, the way in which we gather light, that's finite. So we can say that we can say right. how much light lands on Earth. Okay, this is our cap that we can do hourly or daily or whatever. And in a sense, that's finite, but we'll never run out of sunlight. And we don't even have to worry about sustaining it. We have to worry about sustaining the technology, but we don't have to worry about being like, oh, we're running out of sunlight. That's going to always be there. But so the really bummer thing is that you have industries that consider the most valuable things in nature only to be an extension of industry value. And so you have... Right. You have trees that not only provide habitat and provide oxygen and uh, sequester carbon and have been a balance of this planet for, like, not forever, but <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years right. at the very least. It's honestly interesting to me. It reminds me, and this is tendential, but it, it reminds me of what uh, a previous guest, uh, Kevin Carroll, had said on this podcast where I had talked about measuring things, right? Like, in the podcasting world, you measure, or really just anything you do nowadays, you measure your response you get by the likes you get and the views you get and the plays you get and this, and then by proxy subscriptions you get on new platforms. Yeah. And so I had asked him the question is like, how do you manage the expectation of that? Because you can feel very impact, like very meaningful about something you do, but not have equal external indication that mm -hmm. it is very meaningful. Yeah whatever you call it. And so that could be in some sense, it's like what we're doing to the planet at an environmental level is we're measuring it on an improper model that doesn't encapsulate the rest of the things that are, that are not as easily quantifiable. They don't easily justify into dollars, right? If you go to a company and say, no, no, you can't drill from there. You just can't. And they were like, but, but there's $10 billion worth of whatever raw resource in there. And you're like, no, you just can't. We're, we're just telling you, no, mm -hmm. we want to leave that lane the way it is. Yeah. And at some point they're, you're, they're just going to have to be okay with it. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to disconnect sometimes because it's like the thing that you find meaningful can have no quantifiable 
or even rational reason of why it should stay that way until yeah. it's like you got to be there and you got to look at it and be like, just breathe deep. And there it is. In yeah. some sense, it's like the, I can't speak about this myself, obviously, but like the, the point when people say that they have a profound shift in how they think of themselves and what, like when they have their child in their arms for the first time after they become a parent. Yeah. And how it's like, you don't understand what love truly is like until you've held your child in your arms. And I, I feel like in some sense, at least what you've done by going out into the world and, and immersing yourself in nature more so than most people do. And props on you for being able to do that even here in the Midwest, in, <laughs> <Right>. in Illinois. <laughs> I don't think of the Illinois of, of, of having a place with so many nature preserves to go yeah. and immerse yourself in, but you've done it. And that's freaking amazing. And the best thing that's come out of it too is you've done your homework to try and learn as much as you can mm -hmm. about it in some sense. Yeah. And now that you're, you have your website up there <laughs> and you you're sharing those pictures so that people can do what it is that they want with them. I think that's in some sense, that's all we can do because right. it's, if you value it and then you have to provide a value for people that it, it touches them in a way. And if nothing else, they have a nice photo that allows them to appreciate it then cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I understand where people come from, where they want to pick a side and say the, the root of all evil yeah. kind of argument, but it's like these things all have just progressed one step at a time. And it's not like they've done this because of harm. And the people that have done this because of harm were just bad character more than anything else. I'm not sure where I was going with that, but no, I, I do though. Even that reference to things needing to be black and white to define our path. Unfortunately. And that's, so there's this, I don't know if she's a forester, but she's uh, involved in some sort of sustainability industry. Her name is Laura Calandrella, I believe. Just recently, I actually reached out to her for reference on the website that I was working on because it's tailored towards like donation to sustainability and environmentalism and stuff. And so I was like, hey, I'm really scared of all like the, the crazy <laughs> nutty stuff that companies do between greenwashing or not actually right, doing yeah. what they're saying. Not, not actually fulfilling the mission as well, whereas other things are, right? I'd, I'd rather money right. Saying go. they're doing one thing and not meeting whatever criteria um, they've set for themselves. But so she, a really big thing that she does is, I think she said one forestry project they were working on, I think in the South, about land getting swallowed up for industry and trying to find a way to, to win over the public to not sell their land off out of convenience or something, if that's the right project. Regardless, though, there was a really hefty project that, like, if an individual or even a small group looked at, they were like, that's way too big for us. Mm -hmm. So they worked on a huge project. And so really cool shift that they're taking into account, which is what I mentioned earlier, is that science needs to start taking into account how the public will behave. Mm -hmm. And you can give them all the information you want, and you can ask for whatever change, but if they're not going to do it, you've, you've introduced the knowledge, and maybe it'll help later on, but it, it's not doing anything right now. And I think she, I think she says that it took three years of collaborate of collaborating between a bunch of stakeholders on these forests, and I think including industry leaders that were supposedly in competition, and like really taking into account all of the values that exist around whatever you're trying to make change to. And so, if you're going to make change to an industry, like the the podcast you had sent me about the agricultural industry and stuff they talk about the one with Sam Harris is that the I one I think so about the yeah I believe so about the change up in synthetic meats and yes. yeah, yeah right so they talk about instead of competing with this company that already has a bunch of leverage trying to get Tyson on your side saying okay they have their values and their interests and we have ours 
but do they have to operate separately? And if we, I'm right. arguably, making I them would say, pivot to you rather. Than- if you're starting out new and the public, and you already know the public doesn't trust your mission, and they're 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 cringing at it, that's not going to work out. Not only do they have the leverage and the the they have everything. They have the supply chain. They have the production. They have the relationships. They have all of it. Right. And then you enter and you're like, let's do this cringy thing. The public doesn't like. You're going to fail. So instead, <laughs> you bring the people. You make friends out of your enemies for the greater good, and you start to be more inclusive about the value sets you're trying to make change. And you also include the public. You don't say, the public's dumb, they'll figure it out. These are the people you're asking to change. That was what I was saying earlier today is if you're the administrator at a school and you call parents in to tell them about your child's behavior, (laughs) you don't go and tell them and chastise them and say, you're doing everything wrong. Maybe point, and you don't look at the best parents or the, the, the parents of the arguably best behaved child in the class either and say, that's best. You say, instead of setting a baseline that they fall below, say, okay, here's some behavioral things. That instead of chastising or setting a baseline or pushing them, just invite them into change instead of pushing change or demeaning them. And like, you're again, you, the second you put somebody in fight or flight, get them in that stress uh, you, mode, you're not gaining anything. It's, it's like a, I'm not a fighter, but it's, it reminds me of anyone who puts into boxing terms. It's like as, as soon as you put someone to a defensive position, they're not going to put their arms down mm-hmm. to hear what you have to say. The The only way we make things better in any situation, we can talk about the nature and the environment and food production and all these things at a high level, but I think it comes down to conflict resolution in any scenario. And it, and it looks exactly like your interpersonal relationships and it's meeting people where they are. And it says, here's, I know you love, I know you're, a hamburger and fries kind of person. Mm-hmm. We you're trying to get them to eat better. How about we try doing chicken instead of <laughs> of beef, right? And maybe you switch out your fries for sweet potato fries. Mm-hmm. Or and then if they feel more comfortable with it, well, you say a, what what about a black bean burger yeah. or well, something? I think you would. I think it was you that was telling me right when it comes to a doctor with a patient with a dietary issue. They have recently, in the past few decades, started taking into account what culture this person yes. comes from. So yeah. it's like, okay, if we look at your culture, behavioral diet, economics at the core, at its core, and say, okay, your the culture or the, your household diet is heavily carbohydrate yep. oriented or heavily protein oriented. Like we're going to start working around that instead yeah, they, of me saying, hey, change up everything about your life. We're starting to have you got to work within the culture and what, what because that's the the biggest detriment, right? Because if the example they use was someone who's like from South America or even Asia where a lot of those diets are very carbohydrate dense with rice and flour tortillas and things like that. If you go to that person and say, Hey, you need to make drastic changes where you're not eating any carbs at all. Now what you've done is effectively isolated them from the culture that they've been in Mm -hmm. for all their life. And now when they're at home, they have to eat something so outside of their family unit that it's just not sustainable for them. And so the only way you get people to, to move in any direction is if you give them nudges to be, give them options and access to the information so they get used to it because any drastic change, especially when it comes to diet and then by extension environment, right? People just don't change that quickly. You have to wean them into things and say, here's a little nugget and it's, Hey, just try walking. You're not going to go tell someone, run a marathon. <laughs> like, you don't tell someone who doesn't work out and say, all right, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up at 6 a.m. and we're running a marathon. That's a great way to get someone injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's the same thing when it comes to these environmental movements and, and trying to get companies to comply with 
a more humane model. Yeah, we can't right. just expect them to flip a switch and say, yeah. "Tomorrow we're going to be the the yeah. new standard of doing things." No, we need to be partners with them and say, "Hey, the public is really wanting to be better with this thing." Yeah, and as you, as a company who's been around for all this time, mm-hmm. you're already successful. So how about we figure out a way to make it more successful? Yeah, in the future because so, we can well, now we can do that because <laughs> now we know better. I would argue that conversation is an abstract conversation too because it very much since is. the 70s we now exist in a world where if you're like a multi-million or multi-billion dollar company you have lobbying power so it's not even oh we want to do this because we're getting pressure externally or because our consumers value it you have the power to make sure certain things don't surface you have the power to launch misinformation campaigns and never get bit in the butt for it you have the power to change laws and stuff like that in your favor and that's ever since the 70s some lawyer was like if you really want to grow your business, get involved in politics. And right. that's the world we live in now. So we, that's another thing you need to take into. Literally, I see so many people, and I, I'm not, I don't know that I'm right on this at all, but right. I see so many people screaming like, tax the rich, tax the rich. And I'm like, okay, what about offshore accounts? What about moving your headquarters? What about loopholes in the tax system? What about all these things? What about the fact that the IRS has failed to collect taxes <laughs> from in the millions from the 1% and things like that? And I'm like, these are things, like we exist in a, again, such a, an incredibly complex reality and it's okay it's exhausting how much you have to take into account oh, yeah. all the time and so that's what i really uh, back to this like lauren laura calandrella she says it took three years to get this project off the ground and so that that sounds that's a nightmare and they and i had listened to this talk and she has a, a book too but i had listened to this talk on that your forest podcast that i've mentioned before and so they get into the fact that like they in, in their industry, they feel as though they walk into a room and they brought the stakeholders in, mm-hmm. but everybody's just there to answer questions. Mm. And like it, a decision should be made by the end of that meeting. Mm. And instead, it was an ongoing conversation about how to reach a compromise in values. And so not to have and then because literally if you're like, OK, we're going to share this land and we're going to do this reclamation thing and we're going to plant these trees and the oil company is going to be next door. And you, oil company, have to follow these rules. Also, there's going to be no consequence if you don't follow the rules. And you have someone else in your pocket that won't punish you or whatever, or your value is more to the government or the government subsidizes the crap out of you. And so you have the leverage, whatever it is, right? The reality we exist in, if you don't bring them into the discussion, if you don't at least show them your values and let them tell you your values and you don't find a compromise what reason do they have to fall into the behavior you're asking them to, right? It's a vulnerability. You both have to come to the table and say, hey, I'm willing to work with you even though we don't mesh completely. That's a really big thing that environmentalists and sustainability and climate advocates have right now is that that mission includes every single thing because literally we live on the planet Earth and this is affecting the planet Earth. And again, it's a discussion of multi-value issues and especially not even physical multi-value but chronological multi-value. If I entered a product in the market right now and it started murdering people, if I was like, try my new ice cream, and it's like, right. oh, we forgot, we put antifreeze in the ice cream and it killed a bunch of people, they'd be like, yeah, take it off the market. And I'm sure even right. the neoliberal economics people that were like, that. yeah, even the deregulationists who were like, no regulations ever, would be like, all right, you should probably not be murdering people. You're making deregulation look bad. Those people would be up in arms. It makes a case for regulation. Right, but so now though, Let's talk about deferred cost, which we've already seen in American history and like well, world history too. You have a company that's producing a good that is either poisoning its consumer over the long term, it's poisoning its employees and its production, it's poisoning water supplies in America. And I don't want to go too into specifics with the companies, might get my butt 
sued. But this, this has happened not infrequently in American history where well, there, it reminds you like lead in paint back in the right. day. And, and so, like well, that. even now we exist in a reality where both you and I have nanoplastic particles in us. There's nanoplastic particles from particulates getting rained, getting absorbed through the ocean, which is what really breaks them down to those nanoparticles with our giant islands of trash. And so they've even done studies and gone up to the Mount Everest. And because of that accumulative uh, effect with like clouds and stuff, you have nanoparticles of plastic on Mount mm. Everest. The fish we eat, the the water we drink, all this stuff. We have nanoparticles of plastic in us wow. and things like that. So I'm assuming there's a push for biodegradable biodegradable plastics. Oh, I, I have to assume that. But so but what, getting back though to the deferred cost, right? If I produce a product right now that's killing people right. tomorrow, people are going to be like, yeah, get that product off the market. We have scientists right now telling us like, hey, all of these products have major deferred costs and it's going to cost millions of lives down the road inherently. Like we we know the prude versions of these projections are like, yeah, this is probably about 150 million people die a decade from what we're doing mm -hmm. right now. And if we don't change our behavior, it's going to be, they equate it to get that emotional heartstring. They're like, well, this will be X amount of holocausts a decade. And thinking about it at that scale and stuff and like, wow. But because <laughs> when you slam someone with numbers, you lose right. them pretty quick. Oh, for sure. I, well, I also think like when you start adding millions in, in stuff like to the denominator, or not to the denominator, to the zeros at the end of stuff, when you go up beyond a couple dozen people or whatever your Dunbar's number you want, you feel mm -hmm. like you're yeah. connected to is, <laughs> right. I, I think people just yeah. don't know how to say, why, how does this affect me? Because when, when you talk about giant companies, like whatever massive food company you want to pick, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to name anyone because <laughs> right, yeah. I, I don't know who I'm, I don't want to one, like just throw out a name when they could actually be doing good. And two, right. I, I, I don't want to just do that because it doesn't, it's not prudent mm -hmm. uh, in some sense. But I think if, we, it's like you have to have an individual story and think about it honestly about yourself and how does like how does this affect me and clearly why it affects you and how you play a role in the overall ecosystem and in our in a, in a sense trying to drive a change for things and I think in a sense that's what all we can do right if, if people vote by being well informed and then making informed decisions about supporting different companies or, or supporting different organizations that then have interests to shift these things, right? That then force the ecosystem to adapt and evolve because that's what's required of them. Because I think just in the 1950s or whenever most of these large companies started, there just wasn't the knowledge base that we have today mm -hmm. of just yeah. the long-term ramifications of the choices we make. Like, when the but first people who picked made a car, they didn't think about the CO2 emissions of what yeah, a car right. could do. Or drunk driving or... Right, know, all, all of that. that. Yeah. Or seat the necessity belts. of yeah. a seatbelt yeah. because they laughed when they thought right. that a car would go over 40 yeah. miles an hour. We do, yeah. We, we are such... <laughs> it's a really major downer song, but I used to... When I was really into the whole DIY punk music and all this really obscure music, there was one... I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was one song that was just like a nine-minute, like speech over like acoustic guitar and it was it just went through all the bad stuff like really bad stuff it's like you go over the highway and someone's shooting up underneath it and you you go to walmart and find a product that has been recalled oh, no. it's like it goes a product that's only been recalled from experience meaning like we know people have died from this and we only mm. recalled it now out right. of reaction yeah. literally uh, at, at, that's my still one of my I mean, favorite it's like undercutting the whole covid thing <laughs> Sure. Yeah. But like one of my favorite book titles, I don't, I've only read a very small segment, but life, the unfinished experiment, like we're always learning and we're always doing new things where, Oh yeah. I just, I, 
yeah, I recently wrote this out for myself, but one of my favorite quotes, I don't know where it comes from, but it's basically just really simple. The key to good tinkering is keeping all the parts. That's it. If you take apart a VCR, if you take apart whatever, you're not going to be able to put it back together very well if you lose the parts. And we're losing crucial parts and more so just strictly focusing on science and value systems. Just not only do you need to understand what the most important value is, which I do think can be objective. I think it can, right? Like instead of looking at trees strictly as timber, look at them as a resource that sustains the balance of our planet, our ability to actually be alive. Not There's way more than trees, right? Look at whales as an extension of those that feed phytoplankton that produce a majority of the oxygen on this planet. And start looking at things for their base value. If you value X, basically the net thing I'm trying to get at here is place the means by which you are able to partake in convenience, mm -hmm. realize that you're able to take in part, partake in convenience because you're alive or because something has made that convenience accessible to you. And then realize that is the inherent value. And so basically it's if you put convenience, I guess well, a, a better is, metaphor is like smoking it, or overeating right. is I value having well, was in some food. sense like the convenience that we have today allows us to be able to look at the systems that are in place and say, can't we do that a little bit better? And I'm not yeah. saying drastic measures, just like, just 1%, yeah. like, I just, I'm just such a big fan of this idea of 1% increments. No, gradual changes are a really good thing, right? Like, throwing right. a bunch of money really quick at a problem in terms of human behavior, either, maybe you get the solve. It's, I, I think it's a little more rare that you get the solve when you're like, all hands on deck this one time and we're going to make it right. more unless than likely. It's, unless it's absolutely necessary, life or death, but, I think so, but yeah. But more than likely, <laughs> you might miss the mark. And then your critics are going to say they dropped millions or billions or trillions of dollars on this. Right. And we should have never done it. And it was a failure anyway. So now we should never return. I mean, and it's a bigger failure than it ever could have history, been if we went slow. Joe said this in a conversation I was telling you earlier about, but he, he had this joke about history, human history and human trajectory is, is everyone looking in the back, in, like over our shoulder at our ancestors and say, you fucked it up. <laughs> and now we have to, and now we have to go and and, and fix it. And that's what it is. What sucks even more is that our fuck ups are getting so much more consequence. But the problem is that they were fixed. They were implementing something that was a fix for the previous yeah, generation right, that right. fucked it up too. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> right. We're never. Uh, yeah, we're not. I don't know that we're gonna solve it. We're incrementally improving upon those that came yeah. before us. Like the, it's the Einstein quote all over again. We're standing yeah. on shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. And if Einstein is the one that fucking says we're standing on the shoulder of giants. Who the fuck am I? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're all just trying to do our best. Mm -hmm. And some of us happen to be running giant companies that we didn't expect to be fucking running, but yet we are. And now we have the opportunity to make massive impact because of that responsibility that position affords us. Mm -hmm. And it's only up to those that take on that responsibility with the correct amount of deference. I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's like the being a steward of the responsibility which you hold. Because if you're a proper steward, then you hold it in such a regard in which that you don't think you're a god or yeah. whatever the fuck word you want to use that you think is important. It's you understanding that you're not going to get it all right and that the decision you make right now isn't going to have all the information you wish you would have to make the proper decision. But that being said, a decision must be made. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that's, I, yeah, I guess how holistic or inclusive or how much stock has been taken, right? 
yeah. is what matters. It's hard. The it's all to, hard. Yeah, yeah. Like a decision has to be made yeah. because there are livelihoods at stake yeah. and people have to carry on. And, and so, you have yeah, to see how it plays out. But yeah, right. Like it's but I guess the really big thing too is why I really appreciate this uh woman in the forestry field is that she they spent three years trying to find the best proper solution instead of spending one week trying to find a solution and then mm-hmm. spending years doing the wrong thing and that sucks and that's again a little bit back that's not even malthusian economics i don't think but the way especially in america our, our system works is quick return right yeah. if you if you want to well, if you want to make a company it's like quarterly windows and yeah. stupid things like well, that if you want to make a company and compete in the market you might you're probably going to need investors too and the way our investing model really works is not a long-term return it's I want stuff years, back fast. Five you know? years it's, is the standard. Yeah, and if I don't see my one-year return, my incremental returns, if I don't see that, it doesn't matter to me about the longevity of your company. I want to see my incremental return, so you should trim fat. Even if trimming fat in your company and letting people go and doing whatever or losing key tools or technology or whatever, even if that means I undercut the success and the longevity of your company, I would rather see my economic return. And I would rather, like people, Dan Gilbert gets into this, about wanting less money sooner than more money later. And there's a lot of, I think there's better psychology that goes beyond the simplistic saying of like, oh, humans are just irrational and that they want things quicker or they want gratification quicker or they want assurance. I think that's just a quirk of our biology. Yeah. It's just survival mechanisms at play. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. We are finite and fallible. And so Mm -hmm. should, what? I guess the overall net thing is take that into account. Take yeah. into account there are objective successes and there are objective tools we can use to succeed, but these tools are the byproduct of fal- the tools that we come up with to solve the problems that we see are problems likely caused by fallible creatures and we're coming up with solutions as fallible creatures. Yeah. And so, so the solution will be fallible by right. extension. <laughs> and so maybe the more truths you get in the room the better. This is, I don't even know that this is appropriate to call a parallel to add here. If you go to a thousand people and you hold up a, a thing of gumballs and you're like, how many gumballs are in here? Mm-hmm. And you take all thousand guesses and you find the mean, it's going to be insanely close to what is actually in there. Looking at that with getting as many values in the room as possible before you make a decision. Can we get as close right. to objectivity as possible before we go and screw things up more so our ancestors are less likely to be like, wow, you really dropped the ball. It's like just doing the work a little bit. And I'm going to attempt to land the plane here, ground yeah. it a little bit. Because we, we started grounded and we kind of yeah. just pew. I have no idea where my head's at. And <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just going to try and do this. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it well. But for you as someone who's obviously spent a lot of time immersing yourself in nature and then by extension immersing yourself in the impact we are having on all aspects of what that encompasses as a species, where are you headed now that you're, in quotes, re-entering the world as a fully vaccinated person? What are you most interested in continuing to explore? I think right now I've been working with myself a lot on the idea of with working with people of different varying value sets and different priorities to extremes mm-hmm. to the point that they are, especially I'm using like a sense bigotry as like the cap to start from and be like, maybe work my way down from there because that's mm-hmm. really divisive. And that's really tough to deal with. Right. To say, I love everybody. That means you love murderers and you love mm-hmm. ra- racists and things like that and bigots and all that and it's like okay let's really it's it's tough to psychopaths and (laughs) yeah tough to love people that are tough to love and so how do you do that but a a thing i go back to and one of my 
one of the female scientists I enjoy because she, I think she's an astronomer and she you know takes into account, I, I can't remember the name. It's a different name. It's a, it's eccentric, but I can't remember. If you can find name. it, I, I'll include it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. She's, I, she's from that documentary I might've referenced before behind or beyond the curve about flat earthers. Okay. She says, what do flat earthers gain if we're rejecting them constantly when they come to the table and bring their abstract ideas as I'll say a little more respectfully, <laughs> as, as nicely as when they bring their abstract yet short-sighted and unformed ideas to us. And they're done in, essentially when they lay their Dunning Kruger effect on the table in front of us and we laugh them out of the room, what do they do? They go to an ecto chamber and then they forge their own community and then they get deeper and they just, they ruminate these ideas and they regurgitate these sentiments and it becomes an even more ingrained thing. And not even worrying about how that affects the outer community, but thinking about, okay, how do you now solve for that, this upset in a sense of science and this tangential walkabout that is going nowhere and has no even useful conclusion in reality. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what the flat earther conclusion is like, Oh, we did it. I know. We yeah. What do they, I don't know what they win. So, so how do you solve There's this? There's no Nobel there. And so what it makes it, maybe there is. So what, what does a flat earther gain if they renounce their sentiments, their mm-hmm. community is going to reject them and the yeah. scientists laugh them out of the room. So now they're just out in the open alone. Yeah. A lot of the, like, so this is especially with another reason, bigotry, is one of the was one of the like starting points I'm kind of work from is bigotry is an extension of just extreme tribalism to yes. a degree. And so again, with this flat earther thing, it's a modern form of tribalism. And so it's with that tribalism, that's the same thing you have with flat earth. And sometimes people don't even join a group because they really believe, because they trust the information or the mission of the group. They join the group because they trust the people. And so then mm. the information comes second and they, be, as they become accepted as a member or it's like accept- a religion type aspect Hi, yeah. of it. It's like, you've passed the test of belief. And, and so it's no mistake too, that Jehovah's witnesses have people go door <laughs> to get rejected and say, rejected you, but we won't. You're right. welcome. Yeah. It, it, then you're part of it. This would just be a question. It's open-ended. No, sure. no answer necessary, but it's, I've think thought about this at the peak of everything going on over the last year. And I was just like, can we. Can we as a society, as a, or not even a society, as a civilization, as humanity in 20, the 21st century, mm-hmm. can we look back and, and leverage the things that made humanity special as a tribal species? Mm-hmm. Can we leverage those benefits, but also counteract the negatives of tribalism? Mm-hmm. Right, the ism is what is makes it that makes it the most horrible thing ever. That in group out group dynamic of being able to define the same group of people. Right, you're, for all intents and purposes, you just behave different, or you have different cultural preferences of right. of how you have different ways of thinking or value sets that aren't incompatible. Because if you got two people of separate viewpoints, at the end of the day, they still would agree on what they want for themselves and for their family. Right. That's, oh yeah. I love, I, I really, well, I don't like them anymore as much because they're really depressing, but there's this band AJJ and of their more wholesome work, which they have a lot of much less wholesome work, um, but of their more wholesome work, there's this one song that says there's no such thing as enemies, just people who love their families. And so I, I like I, that. It's, I think it's as Joe would, as Joe would say, this is a Marxist view. I, I think tribalism is a bit of an extension of resource competition. It's not so much that I hate you. It's that we're both going after the same thing. And I don't know that you want to get there with me. There's no trust. I don't know if there's enough for both of us. So I'm more important than you. 
And I've, and that's, that's the glow up of our species, arguably amongst genetic research and biology and stuff like that, is that we started out with this oxytocin attachment to our children, and then it starts to attach itself to your partner. So you have this little mini familial tribe, mm -hmm. and then those partners have family members. And eventually these tribes gets, just gets larger and larger. And that's I, how we get. I'll, I'll throw a wrench to it. it there, I just read this not too long ago. I don't remember where it was from or if it was anyone quoted it, but it was like Instagram. It was capitalism was the first time in humanity that we were able to take resource competition instead of accumulation of resource. Instead, as a capitalistic humanity, someone could be of service to the collective mm -hmm. and then accrue resources by creating something that provides value for the other. Yeah. In, so in a yeah. capitalistic. So that's just I, right, there's nothing yeah. there. I want you to think about it because I just well, thought I've read it. literature that expands on that. Yeah. But yeah. So we'll, we'll put a pin on that one, but I, I just wanted to mention that one because right, it's like yeah. it pushes like on the other yeah. end of that spectrum. 100%, yeah. I just wanted to throw it in there. <laughs> like but I yeah. said, I am all over the place. I know. Just, yeah, I yeah. love it, but it's that's that's half the fun of these things, and we really kept it to a pretty specific narrative here. I think for right now, just go ahead and share your now website. It's so cool yeah. that I get to. You're not one who's on social media all that often but just go ahead and share a little bit more about what your website is all about and we'll yeah. end this one so we can go ironically eat food because yeah, i'm right. getting hungry <laughs> eat meat ironically uh, <laughs> yes i'll admit that yeah. um, but so yeah i in 2020 i spent the year taking pictures as you might read in the about section i after i got back from arizona and broke broken my phone one of my great friends a tony traded me his girlfriend's phone as they were switching and for a plate of hot wings. And it turns out that hot wing phone had a great camera. And so I just started taking snaps of stuff and zooming in to see more about what nature was like, like zooming in on flowers and seeing the pollen and all this. Cool. Yeah. I, Thanks, man. <laughs> I really like it. Like there's one that you had sent me. I think I have them on your previous podcast where we talked all about, about environment with dew on a leaf and a sunflower with a bee on it. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. It's really, I would never have guessed you took them on a cell phone to be totally yeah. honest. That's I, yeah. I, even when I had shared them at work with my wonderful design team, they were like, what did you take these on? And I was like, Oh, it was just a cell phone. And they were like, what about this one? I was like, no, they're like, man, <laughs> also a phone. <laughs> right. And they were like, imagine if we gave you a DSLR and I was like, I'll take a corporate. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's, what's the name of the website again? Um, so yeah, it's scenic snaps, like scenery, like scenic S. C E N I C. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah you're good. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> I can't spell out loud. But so yeah, scenicsnaps.com. And so it's I had a few people reach out and say, Do you sell these things? And I'm not, I'm really not like big on side hustles. And I went down the whole path of like, all right, how do I the logistics of moving all this stuff and all that? And then I realized, you know, maybe I'll just give them away for free. And then I was like, wait, if people are willing to pay, why not make it oriented towards donations? So I spent some time looking around for like environmental and sustainability oriented causes that I really support, whether it's in forestry or in water accessibility or accountability and things like that, or solar energy. And so I found a few things that I really endorse and I just threw these photos up online for free. I personally would love it if y'all donated, but it, it's free stuff. And there's really the only barrier to entry and access is whether or not you have internet and electricity. So I hope that's not too much of an issue. <laughs> If they um, listen to this podcast, they probably can fair point, do, yeah. they probably can do uh, that. But yeah, so and some of them are high def enough for me to feel comfortable in my design sense saying, okay, this is 300 DPI, CMYK. Yeah. But you can print whatever you want at whatever size you want. It's I was really gonna, not going to matter. But that was going to be one of my things I'll ask you offline is whether or not you'll provide prints at some point. Yeah, that was another thing is I was like, as I got further into it and I was like thinking about having a company house these in print and then send them to people, I was like, what if I didn't do that? 
if I did do that, I would be endorsing transportation of goods and I would be endorsing mm. printing of goods. And I was like, if this is towards nature and sustainability and environmentalism, I don't know that adding a transportation to the equation and adding printing on paper is in the same vein. It might have been something enough. that might be lost, but so yeah. I see yeah. where you're going with that. But instead, in any case, this is something that is, at the end of the day, it's providing awareness and access and hopefully, yeah. People get to partake in nature and yeah. hopefully contemplate something about it that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I think you're on, as always, Nick, a great path. It's so cool to just, I think the first episode you were on was like 24 or something. Or no, so I don't know what it was, but it was a while, like, like a long time ago now feeling. Yeah. And so this is just a continuation in the story that is Nick Bugle for me. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool to continue to see where you're going and what you're continuing to explore. It's just a lot of fun to be. Oh, yeah. The, the one who gets to share that to the world. And I hope one day people, other people will be asking you to be on their podcasts <laughs> at the very least. Thanks as well it's, for having it's me so on, cool. man. It's, this is a very useful thing for even me to even, even look back at how I thought previously. Yeah. And if I still hold the same values or how I was thinking, like I admittedly, every podcast I list, I listen to with you that I've done, I listen to it like the week it comes out and I, by the time I'm done, I already, I usually find like 10 checkpoints where I'm like, I could have said that different or this is wrong or I think about that differently already. And it's really cool. It's very extremely useful. And it's, I, it's been a very cool tool in my growth and I really endorse and love what you do. So cool. Thanks, I appreciate it. At the end of the day, if I can facilitate any sort of growth for anybody involved, I consider that a win regardless of any external impact it may make. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate it. And as always, I appreciate you being here in person after a, over a year. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And with that, everyone, that's it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. And this was a lot of fun. So till next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. And I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feeding curiosity slash support, or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, if you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all of that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening. And I hope you join in on the next episode.